Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. So for today's episode, we have an an absolutely fantastic guest lined up. She is called Jackie Murray, and she is the Deputy Director at the Faraday Battery Challenge, uh, which is part of Innovate UK. So welcome to the show, Jackie. We're going to talk about all sorts of things to do with batteries, battery systems, battery research, and of course the fantastic work that you've done at the Faraday Battery Challenge over the last few years, and probably set out a bit about what's going to happen there in the future um and introduce it to people so thank you for joining us yeah nice to be here Anne. so uh, uh, as has become a sort of custom for uh, for these interviews could we kind of dive back and uh, could you tell us a bit about your your history um and how you sort of got into engineering and how you came to be doing what you're doing now so i think i got into engineering because of two things because um i like maths and i like science i found them easy um, when I was younger and, and um, found them interesting um, and he didn't have to write long answers, which I thought was a great thing, <laughs> uh, I guess, when I was back in school. And then um, I won't say I fell in love with Nigel Mansell because that would be wrong. But I certainly <laughs> fell in love with Formula One about the time that Nigel Mansell was there. Uh, you'd be glad to know I didn't fall in love with Nigel Mansell. You like the big tash. Like, yeah, no, I'm nice, you know, I could see like that kind of do a... <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, you got. He was a fantastic driver. So yeah. yeah, no, I just, I just really fell in love with Formula One. Um, so I ignored the fact that I was much better at chemistry than I was um, physics, and went to do mechanical engineering. Um, and then whilst I was doing mechanical engineering at Manchester, I suddenly realised that actually uh, the materials elements of it made so much more sense. Yeah, um, and I really enjoyed that. And Manchester, it's actually pre-graphene in Manchester. That's how old I am, back in 1992. Uh, and I switched to materials um, and really didn't look back. I ended up, my first summer job was on Scunthorpe Steelworks, which which was like land of the giants. And I just fell in love with, um, you know, the adrenaline rush and the complexity and the just that feeling of making stuff that I think once you've had that moment, you know, it's hard pushed to go away from engineering. Yeah, well, I mean, that's steel, yeah, somewhere like Scunthorpe Steel Manufacturing, that is engineering on an epic scale that actually sort of we don't get all that much of in the UK. Uh, It's kind of, it used to be something we were really strong at and then it it fell away. So that must have been quite difficult um, for you as as well, you know, kind of male-dominated environment and (laughs) like the most kind of, I mean, basically, you could have been there on an oil rig, and I think that would have been like as macho as it comes for that sort of thing. So, how how yeah, is that? I, I can't, you know, I can't talk about offshore. I, I don't know, but what I would say is, I remember walking out onto Scunthorpe Steelworks uh, and feeling at home. So, in yeah. that massive, awe-inspiring, you know, volcanic, <laughs> yeah, uh, huge buildings that, like, you know, one of the bays on Scunthorpe Steelworks about three quarters of a mile wide, right? Mm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> just epic as you say 
Um, actually, I was made to feel welcome. There's a lot of banter, a lot of fun, but actually a lot of um, those teams work in very dangerous environments. And actually one of the things that I realized very early on was just how much they cared, mm. maybe in a gruff heavily tattooed regal smoking way right <laughs> yeah but like um it, underneath the humor there was that there was a real acceptance of what was quite diverse teams mm. so they might have been white men on the whole um but you had uh you know P- everyone from phds mainly during the day um through two guys yeah. that actually weren't literate and the, the shift managers were just brilliant leaders mm. of teams of sort of three maybe 400 men uh, working through the night, producing thousands of tons of steel. And it was just, um, I think it's one of those special places actually where you see real leadership. Um, and even to this day, I'll still every now and again, one of those shift managers, wise words will pop in my head in terms of what it really means to pull teams through difficult times, et cetera. So yeah, it, it, yeah I fell in love with it, as you can tell, Ryan. Yeah, it's cool. And well, and then the leadership bit there is interesting it's not the first time actually that someone has said to me about the steel industry being quite a unique melting pot of the sort of shop floor through to PhDs or kind of um, mixing mixing it up together. But the safety angle as well, I mean, it, you know, like some certain extent in some industries you make a big deal about, um, you know, uh, trapping a finger or something, whereas it's life and death every day. Uh, multiple times a day in 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 those sorts of industries if you get it wrong it's um potentially fail so yeah big kind of big focus on that so 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 then after that um where did you where did you head head off to so i did 10 years actually i i worked on scunny but then i went down to south wales um i did predominantly technical and manufacturing roles um got the degrees got sponsored through my first one kindly by scunthorpe and then um, through a master's of engineering materials engineering and a and an MBA um, and also got the chartered engineer um, but I just couldn't secure those roles in manufacturing uh, in South Wales that seemed to be much more forthcoming in Scunny so um, after 10 years I decided that you know what I was going to go and work for the environment agency which was my other love okay. is, um, but I stayed pretty much in the heavy industry side um, as much as I could so um, ended up doing things like um, Transposing the Industrial Emissions Directive, which which the first uh, sector through was iron and steel, um, ended up um, being involved, being the lead official for a two gigawatt power station complaint to the European Commission, uh, which meant us intervening and stopping uh, them operating <laughs> to the delight of our WEM power uh, for about four and a half months. Um, but actually came up, I think, now with a really good outcome for the environment down there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always managed to have pretty exciting jobs. Um, repermitted Port Talbot still works at one point, led the team doing that. Right. Um, and then I think those things you kind of get known. A lot of that is is not dissimilar to how you'd engineer and deliver steel. I know it sounds crazy. It's complicated stuff. It's, it's There's a lot of people stuff in there. Um and you have to pull those teams and those that knowledge and and gain the knowledge you need to move forward. Um, and so I got known as I guess a bit of a fixer and got asked to then step in and do uh, a really so a couple of really crazy jobs in um, in what had become moved from the Environment Agency to Natural Resources Wales. Um, so I even had a two years doing internal drainage districts 
which is basically low-lying floodplains that have managed waterways in Wales. Um, and you might remember that the farmers weren't so keen on the Environment Agency on the Somerset levels. So I was over the border in Wales, uh, bring, merging the, the internal drainage districts into Natural Resources Wales. Um, and it turned out I really liked grumpy farmers in, in across Wales and got on really well with them. And I suspect that was partly the steelworks background, right? They're, they're very focused on cash flow. Yeah. They like to be involved in decisions. Um, and it's that same sort of feeling that you can work together and get better outcomes that I think always yeah. sort of drove me. So that was, that was summarized somehow about 14 years in the environment <laughs> agency and RW. <laughs> and all of that but as wow. you can tell I didn't really sit still for very long yeah um, and this job popped up as head of advanced materials in Innovate UK and I thought you know what um, I want to go back towards materials that that's really what had happened I'd always become yeah got a bit too good at fixing problems yeah <laughs> and I have to say there's a special moment in your life when people are sending you very stroppy uh, 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 emails with photographs of ditches <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm. and you're kind of going I've never dug a ditch. I don't actually know if that's a good or bad photograph. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. So it's been a it's been an interesting career. I must admit, when I came to Innovate UK, I thought it was my third career, and very quickly, uh, Faraday came along and brought almost all of that together in one. So you were there before the Faraday Challenge kind of was born as an industrial. So I, I was there as Faraday was was being muted, I guess. Um, okay. We did some work back in the day in the advanced materials team to really look at what materials developments were needed. It was really obvious that Faraday was going to be a massive, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a massive flagship for British advanced materials if we could, if we could land it. So we were very heavily involved. Um, and I got asked to apply for what was then the interim director uh, and became deputy director from there. Yeah, so you, you've been there for a, a good few years now. But so the, the, the listenership of the podcast goes far and wide and beyond just the, the UK. And, and actually, even some people in the UK might not know. But so Innovate UK, explain um, to the, the, the world what that is. So I think the easiest way of describing it is it's the government, UK government's innovation agency. So um, the normal job is to fund the most fantastic um, collaborative research development projects somewhere around TRL 3456, possibly seven. Um, if you use that terminology, it's, it's not the easiest. Um, but actually, really, what you're trying to do is take research from university benches and pull it through somewhere where it's closer to commercialization, where you can get, uh, well, for example, for, for batteries and for EV batteries and for things like motors and drives, you can get it onto vehicles and into those sort of uh, um, uh, products that it's really hard to do, as you know, Ryan, uh, without any sort of de-risking from government. Yeah. Um, and the way that it makes sense financially for government is to, to sort of get consortiums of companies together so that the SMEs are working with some big companies and, and the big companies are working with some fresh talent um, and you really sort of start to bring things through. Yeah. Um, so that's what Innovate UK, UK uh, sort of does. What I liked about Faraday was actually something slightly different. Um, and I think that probably goes back to my background and in, in the environment agency as well, that it was uh, it's a real mission. So it's not just about doing the day job of Innovate yeah. UK. It was thinking wide and broader on what the UK needed. And, and these were... There's quite an interesting thing, and I mean, actually, in itself, 
that the, the government spent a bit of time thinking about an industrial strategy. So, you know, that was good, tick. <laughs> and then created um, these uh, challenge funds, like very targeted um, funds. So there's, a, there's a few of them, and Faraday is, is one. But basically, the government said, you know what? The future is electrified, at least, if not electric. We're going to need um, knowledge, capability, capacity in battery systems development, manufacturing, you know, right through. And they created this thing to try and stimulate that or support it or a bit of both. Yeah, I mean, it just felt like the right thing to do. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you're, I mean, I spent so long at that point in government, um, you know what sort of government treading water looks like. And they're sort of doing the right thing. But where you need a leap forward, like like we did in batteries, right? We have really strong academic base, um, you know, having invented lithium ion in the UK. We had some exciting companies like yours, Ryan, floating around the place. Yeah. Um, uh, and we had some good, a, a decent size automotive industry. Um, and you could sort of see that there was, you were heading towards a cliff with uh, the CO2 emissions. Mm. Um, but actually the UK needs to do something different, right? You couldn't just solve it with the with the tools you had. And so actually that that industrial strategy, you know, those challenges, it's been immensely exciting to be part of uh what we know in Innovate UK as the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund. Mm. But it's that mission-based approach. I mean, the one thing I learned on a, on a, a night shift when you're trying to roll a record <laughs> or produce a record ton of uh, tons of steel is you have to really get creative. You can't always just do what you've always done. You've got to see different ways through. And I think that for me, um, it was a bunch of engineers trying to own the problem rather than government officials trying to tell everybody what to do. Yeah. And that that for me really made sense. Yeah, it, it, was, it felt a bit like a watershed moment actually in the UK, um, which to a certain extent they seem to have moved away from a little bit. But you, you had, like you rightly said, the government had already sort of connected with this idea of collaborative R&D. And, mm. and, and actually that did a lot of good um, helping to build out a sort of ecosystem and, um, you know, get large companies working with small companies. And, and a, a lot of fantastic stuff did happened with, with the sort of advent of, of CR&D programs. And then, um, then along came the, the uh, challenge funds, which were very focused around particular areas of need um and and it really changed the the whole landscape um provided a sort of such a multi-level like a, a way to connect companies you know to build programs to access research to access academia like to you know in in a surprisingly coordinated way for something that's anything to do with the government uh, well, I'm, glad, I'm glad it's felt like that right? <laughs> it has you know you just <laughs> it, I, I, to a certain extent i find myself scratching my head thinking well this appears to have worked really well why aren't we doing more of it um oh, but... do you know i think um i went into government um when i when i left stillworks i went into uh i went into welsh government actually on secondment mm. and i just remember two years of thinking what is this? Yeah. How does this even function? Like, it's insane. And I went on a training course. It's really good, isn't it? Two years in that you would go on a training course. And the guy yeah. was an old policy development uh, Whitehall official. And he explained that um, 
the, the policy development cycle. And this will make all engineers laugh because he described plan do check out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh well, I well I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like really, is that what it? And then you start to think, well, it actually, is it just engineering, but with like sixty-six million customers? And the answer, yeah, yeah probably it is. So some of the stuff that Faraday hopefully has been using behind the scenes is an awareness of, you know, it's a it's not a complicated system when you're looking at 66 million customers and all the companies and everything else. It's a really complex, fluid gap. You, you don't know what you don't know. Right? Mm. So the only way to work in that space is to, you know, really look at the problem, really work out what you know, um, but also then sense and probe. So you've got the Friday Institution, right? Great clever bunch of people really working on some very specific projects but at the same time it's also te doing techno-economic research so it's also trying to work out what's going on out there so you're constantly trying new stuff expecting failure as well as you're doing that doing some stuff at speed um and then going actually yeah, that bit hasn't quite worked so we'll pull that back in reinvest the money and and that was through fi yeah in crnd we've done a bit more of that you know we have actually um stopped projects that we thought weren't right or um but on the whole actually people have really got it so um yeah th that's the expanse you have to be more open innovation headset to really understand that that space isn't going to be perfect you're going to have to be creative and it means that actually that's sort of like just doing a project plan and sticking to it yeah you can't, you can't you're not going to win that way right because that's where you know what you don't know and you get somebody in to do the clever stuff right yeah. you don't know and you can so it had to be something slightly different so you'll see that you'll have seen that all the way through um, and investors are a good example I mean you and I spent a lovely morning in the London Stock Exchange uh, with a fantastic brilliant event right at the beginning yeah. and I think we had two or three investors in the room um whereas yeah. you know now we've just run another investor showcase and there's like 30 or 40 highly excited uh investors in the room and you're kind of going you've got to learn you know you can do your best and that was a really great event yeah but it didn't didn't quite tick the boxes or it was a bit premature and but we learned from that right well the whole i mean obviously time has moved on people get it now a bit more yeah. um but i think they also get it in terms of at the time because you went to investors and I think there was multiple problems that A, the battery market was not really an exciting one for investors yet, but also B, they were like, the government thing, that doesn't sound like something that's going to be very interesting to <laughs> go to, like nothing good comes out of the government. And people hadn't seen that happen yet yeah. in terms of, so yeah, no, it, it, I can. I'm even more cynical actually. Um, I think what's really moved that needle as well is pre-COVID um, and pre-Brexit even possibly, um, I think your safe bets for investment could have well been into your internal combustion engine tech, into your uh, aerospace. Yeah, I think yeah, 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 exactly, oil and gas, perfect. Right. Um, and I think people's understanding of perhaps risk has changed. Yeah. And those, you know, we talk about green investors and now I think actually more and more their investors and at that event actually last week that what what really surprised me there was more than one uh, investor who had an environmental science background because they wanted to make sure they weren't getting caught out by greenwashing either mm. so really interesting yeah uh, sort of as you say that education piece is really growing there so we've kind of dived right into the oh, challenge sorry. but i think actually it would help just to set the context for people of 
the Faraday battery challenge. So we've sort of talked around that a bit, but in what would be your elevator pitch for what the Faraday battery challenge is and what it's got in it? Like that's. Okay, I'll go for it. Okay, so the Faraday battery challenge is really all about uh, getting the right stuff to happen for batteries in the UK. It's just simply put, that's the what the government, that's what this team of people at the centre of it are trying to make happen. And we've done that through bring to, bringing forward uh, and setting up an independent virtual um, institution called the Faraday Institution, uh, which has and has funded uh, somewhere around 500 researchers in the UK into some of the best most exciting um, sort of projects out there from battery safety to next generation materials to battery de degradation to recycling that you know actually uh, the whole spectrum is is pretty much covered by um, the Faraday Faraday institution from a university point of view some of the best research in the world I think now going on and it's it's based in all, well, 22 of the UK universities we've done a lot to really proactively um encourage them to work together, encourage them to work across different departments <laughs> uh, and really answer the question that industry needs rather yeah. than, you know, just the blue sky. Now there's, there's pros and cons to just the blue sky, but like um, for this moment, we wanted to really have this focused application led approach. Yeah. Uh, in the center of the, of the challenge is another funding group, which is the CRND. Uh, and we've got well over 140 projects uh, that have been underway or underway um, and and it's around nine. We spent over ninety million on that. The Faraday Institution have spent about over one hundred ten million um, over the last five years. And actually, CRD is sort of pulling that um, research from the Faraday Institution in theory through to more you know commercialization, industrialization sort of steps. Um, and what we see there again is just some of the most exciting research, and it can be from uh, battery cooling materials that M and I have been working on. Or I should, yeah, I'll try not to go into too much depth. <laughs> go off on CRD, yeah. um, but they basically two funding rates, right? So you've got, but you've, it still comes down to people. So the Faraday Institution is these five hundred researchers, and what we've done in the collaborative R and D, it's the industrial side of that, working with research organisations and universities. But, you know, everyone from Jaguar Land Rover, Arrival, uh, Johnson Matthew, you name it, are in really exciting projects in that CR&D. And those two pillars are fantastically exciting, um, but stuff we kind of know how to do. The bit that also is just a real piece of this jigsaw puzzle is uh, the Friday Battery Challenge also has this final pillar, which is the UK Battery Industrialization Centre. Uh, and the bit that I did learn on the steelworks is you could do all your R&D and you can do it to, to, de to death. Uh, but the moment you run at full manufacturing uh, rate and you run your first big order through, it can all go wrong. Um, I had a lovely example of that with a Nissan steel that we pulled through. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure they didn't want a leopard skin printed version of it when yeah. the first thousand tons went through and the silicon we had added to just slightly harden the steel after painting actually migrated to the surface and created a non-stick effect oh, nice. yeah yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So, <laughs> the battery industrialization center really is this 100 engineers um this facility that can produce you pre-series batteries but you can take your materials there once you're at a, as a, at a high enough TRL and you've got enough of them to really test them through. So it's a it's a prototyping facility that can help you 
um, do things if you're someone like British Faults, you'll see might may see news releases where they've been using UK BIC to yeah. trial their cells and produce their early cells so they can show customers what their products are gonna look like as they're building their gigafactories. It also means you can train staff, you can try things, um, and the whole site is set up for that flexibility. Um, and that's 130 million plus uh, of government money that's gone into something that for me is a real win we get so much feedback from talking internationally you know from 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 the states for example you know you're kind of going this is amazing you know you've got somewhere we can so you have interest now from a lot of international companies looking at at the uk um and i think that's a i think it's the fact that it's it's ready yeah. in a moment where you know everybody else is trying to catch that up and and there are others um like ffb in germany is coming but it's probably you know, it's probably two or three years behind where UK BIC has been. It was sort of a unique, UK BIC was a unique concept in the world at the time that it was put together, wasn't it really? Of um, That kind of, obviously not academic because you can't, it's all about making stuff at a scale. But the problem with battery manufacturing, a lot of people don't really understand this, but when you go into a battery manufacturing plant, it's either sort of lab-based, like not scale at all, or it's really at scale, <laughs> sort of like moving yeah, yeah. like the speed of light to p- put stuff together into battery cells. And there isn't really an in-between. No, and actually the in-between is really difficult because mm-hmm. actually when you're running a gigafactory um, and you're creating these, you know, millions of cells, um, actually what you can't do easily is run trials, put any variation into it. Because as soon as you do that, you create yield loss. So as a manufacturing engineer, that's your worst nightmare, particularly when you're putting in exceptionally expensive materials. So your yield loss becomes something that potentially could invalidate a vehicle. Yeah. So actually to run trials and things like that, you need to, you really need to um, be able to um, have somewhere you can go that's flexible um, to try on new materials, try on new setups, try on new techniques, for example, on welding or anything really um because once you're making those cells you need to be in stable conditions for it to make money yeah yeah and that that sort of um dedicated manufacturing plant that's like banging the same thing out where that consistency and a lack of any you can't have any distractions basically that's super critical and and i think the battery industry is probably like unique because of its stage of development where you know, you're transitioning from like consumer electronics type batteries to these more um, higher level propulsion battery systems and things for electric vehicles and other applications where this is it's huge. Yeah, of- huge. And it is, it is, I guess it's one of those um, risks that actually all materials companies and chemical companies can 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 fall into very easily because you you're making products at scale in the millions or of whatever of units um and actually you've invested you know in really expensive kit i mean these are you know gigafactory you can see the bill uh, for building a gigafactory in the you know well over a couple of billion quid right yeah, yeah. But even even a even a small change to your process is going to set you back you know tens to hundreds of million right yeah and actually, that's not dissimilar to steelworks. It's not dissimilar to chemicals. It's not that dissimilar, right? All of those processes that require that sort of consistency, yeah. those units will cost you that much. 
Um, and it's really interesting to then have somewhere in the UK that actually bridges that gap um, because it's very easy to stay in your safe, you know, you can, to make the argument, you can't invest in something that's so significant yeah. um, because actually you get into, you know, where the prices are driven down because you're, you're in an economy of scale business as well uh, in that. So it's a really exciting tool for the UK to have. Mm. To help, because um, like you, you mentioned earlier, which a lot of people I think don't realize, but lithium battery cell technology was, um, sort of the, the concept originally came out of the UK, was never industrialized in the UK. So we didn't um, didn't develop a battery manufacturing industry at the time. It went overseas um, to, all right, was it Sony that commercialized yeah, it? Yeah, it went to Japan, Japan. didn't it? Yeah. I uh, love this story, though. And it all comes down to the fact the application was, in, was it was actually in Japan. Um, but also because um, Sony was decommissioning um, cassette tapes. And when you look at how cells are made, battery cells are made, there's a lot of winding. Mm. Uh, so I don't know, you're my age, so you must remember taking a pencil to a tape deck. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, you know, those thin films that they were producing then, they had a lot of engineering, a lot of NAS, a lot of plants. Did, yeah. So they invested billions, but it was all to do with Sony camcorder batteries. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I do remember those being the first proper rechargeable products uh, on the market, camcorders. Um, yep. So the story sort of, and so the story goes. And you can see why the UK then would be looking at its automotive industry and going, we've built this up. You know, it's a really great industry. The UK is really good at um, actually making vehicles move, that propulsion, making them go fast, if you're yeah. motorsport background <laughs> or love, like I do. Yeah. Um, but it's it's that differentiator for automotive is is how it feels to drive um and so that's one of the reasons why we were looking to em emulate that success it's it's because the the application this time is closer to home yeah and 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 sort of interesting because we from a battery production point of view we did we did actually then end up with albeit on a smaller scale but as a, i love pointing out to people still technically a gigafactory but we ended up with um you know, the, so the battery industry, because we're talking about the, the creation of lithium or invention of it, but it was 30 plus years ago, and then Sony commercialized it, and we're still talking quite a long time ago. Um, but then more recently, but still 10 years ago, maybe, um, it came back. So Nissan built um, a battery manufacturing plant, so a, a small gigafactory in the northeast in Sunderland to make yeah. battery cells for the leaf Um and I guess that plant sort of almost typifies why something like UK BIC was needed in it. It's that very, um, very focused, you know, manufacturing plant. It has exactly the right number of production lines and bits of equipment to do exactly that job with no excess at all. Right. <laughs> Certainly couldn't. But it did create some skills and expertise in battery manufacturing at scale in, in the UK, which has then been been useful um in terms of pulling across into uk bic nope. yeah it, it certainly built an expectation that we could if we really put our minds to it yeah. and i think that's that's the piece isn't it very often for us engineers is is we can argue normally till we're blue in the face on what we should do next um but that moment where you can go well actually they can do it there 
So we must be able to do more. Uh, one of the examples actually that really stood out to me, which was one of those moments where you realise actually the UK is nowhere near as shabby at the start as you would imagine, was um, we were struggling with things like when you look at UK BIC, what the codes of practice should be for it, because actually they were using new equipment, but actually nowhere in Europe were they, were they producing cell materials. So we, we got together with the British Dance Institute and we got a group of cross-industry sort of specialists together and it was we started developing what was called a PAS, a pre-standard, but really just a code of practice, trying to write down what we did know and what, what, about what you should do in terms of health, safety and environment when you're handling, you know, manufacturing cells and electrolytes. So the UK BIC had something to show insurers and, and, and get a warranty and get, get yeah. <laughs> and be able to move forward. <laughs> and it was the one we were really worried about, right? Cells and electrolytes, because we, so what was the worst, um, the Gigafactory um, at Sunderland, you know, actually, it wasn't doing the cell materials. So, yeah. and we really wanted to do that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. And that's sort of um, when you know the 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 bulk materials come in there, don't they? From yeah. over, do they come in from Japan or are they come in from outside the UK? Basically, they come in from outside the outside Europe. Actually, I think yeah. on the whole, in fact, a lot of the gigafactories that were originally set up, the one in Hungary and the one in Poland, again, you know, that a lot of the black mass powder coming in would be coming in from somewhere else yeah uh, in the far east in particular um but yeah so it's like well how do how do we do that um and what was really interesting is i, I was thinking i know nothing nothing about this and then you open up the path and it's all stuff like kosh and um reach and yeah. <laughs> actually all these things you do know and you realize actually there's a huge wealth of knowledge in how to do this right. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's it's an area that we haven't done before, but it's not an area that is dissimilar to some of the other things we do do here. No, and that's the piece that I find really exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, it strikes me as it's been an, an era. I mean, obviously, I've, as listeners will know, I've been involved in the electrification industry since, you know, 2004, 2005, which is like a depressingly long time ago now. And uh, I always sort of struggle. I don't feel old enough that it's been that long, but it has. Um, but the, the, it's now because it was it wasn't the right time then. It was a bit too early. People used to quite openly laugh at, at it. But we're now having a bit of an industrial renaissance off the back of it, you know, because actually the kind of levels of investments that we're getting into the UK and into building new capacity in you know, things like British faults in the new Nissan plant. Uh, so Northeast has benefited greatly from this. But these are like multi-billion pound investments, which I, I don't know if it just it wasn't in my space, so I didn't see them. But it, it feels like for a long time, we've been decommissioning large plants and large kind of capital um, intensive operations in the UK and kind of sending them somewhere else. And the steel industry is a really good example of that. Um but this has now become something where, you know, actually we're investing really heavily, like billions of pounds of investment plus inward investment from outside the country. And maybe we're at a bit of a turning point in terms of um, that a, a kind of renaissance. I hope so. I really hope so. Because let's, let's be really blunt, right? We need one right now. Mm. We really do need one right now. We need it from... Um, from an economic standpoint, we really need that. Um, but we, you know, post-COVID um, and where the country is right here, doing something that builds something that's better for the world, better for the UK, it, it's 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 certainly the 
something that keeps me getting up in the morning and, and coming to work because it's such um it, it's so much more based on what the UK can do moving mm. forward. And don't get me wrong, right? I, I know I'm from steel, right? So um and I love it. I think it's an amazing industry. Um but it, it is perceived to be um you know old whereas actually you know I, I used to work in Port Talbot still one of the world's most efficient still works in terms of CO2 per ton yeah but actually we now know we know we've got to change we know we've got to do it completely differently and how do we do that and I think actually in in all walks of life that is potentially where the UK mm. um can really do something creative and we are as a bunch of engineers quite creative right um it's yeah. one of the reasons why I don't know why our education doesn't quite beat the creativity out of our engineers but it it, it doesn't right mm. um and I I think it's really exciting that we do that and I think that's one of the reasons why you know Nissan for example have stuck in the UK because actually the way Japanese systems-based thinking you know statistical process control type approach um actually mixed with that creative problem solving um engineering from the uk it's where we can be really strong um and we need to move and i hope that we can continue to do that you know it's difficult times at the moment uh for the government for example because we're changing again um so whether new policies will come forward or not um we, we wait to see right but actually um it has been a pleasure to work on one like this for the last five years because it yeah has felt like the right thing well and, and consistent over a decent period of time to do some really good stuff and and you know unfortunately it did feel like the, the sort of um the sands was shifting a little bit against these uh organized challenges but they, they have done a lot of good um and and really changed the approach in the uk more much more coordinated big picture thinking and you know, that realization that it, actually we have to make stuff that is important. There's a strategic value to to this. Um, you know, we can't be an entirely I mean, service-based economy. I agree. Whatever, it's, whatever it is in the future, Ryan, in terms mm. of policy making for the UK, uh, I do think we have changed expectations. Yeah, I think the industry expects us to, it will expect government to think much more around this mission approach, you know, not just setting things up that can just run and do the same old thing but things that actually really do look to make a change and I you know I look at back over the five years and you know the difference in the UK system uh for people like British folk right so yeah. you're right they're I mean they've been around just over two years um phenomenally exciting proposition um do I think they would have been even you know, stuck in the UK because they, whilst they're called British folk, there's nothing, there's nothing that actually <laughs> they were, they didn't them. come from the UK. No, they didn't come from the UK, right? So, um, it, it's, it's, but there's a real passion for UK, and I have to say, Isabel Sheldon, um, yeah. at the at the forefront of it in terms of its direction, but it's, it's, it's the UK that's 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 actually uh attached yeah. it to the uk and seen them you know move to to break ground on on the blithe site and for me that's that that whole thing at every level shifting inconceivable uh, 10 really years exciting. ago inconceivable that like that could have if 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 a big player like panasonic had come as an in, pure inward investor maybe yeah. maybe and it might have got some support might not but I, you know but this, in terms of the British Vault journey, it is inconceivable that they could have uh, 
than that 10 years ago. The whole, I mean, it, it, you know, it's not, it's not just the Faraday challenge, but there's, there's a lot of things have changed in terms of yeah, the world and invest their appetite for this stuff and da da da. But it, it really, um, it's incredible and, and a fantastic thing for the, for the UK and very pleased to say. You were talking North. about industrial renaissance. I mean, that, mm. that has to have vision. And I think that's, yeah. you know, you talk to people in the UK, the vision is a shared vision. Yeah. Your vision for Avid and 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 where you're going is 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 solely yours, yeah. but you understand and see how it fits alongside that bigger vision, and and you will make decisions that are right for your company. Um, yeah. But you can see where it's going, and and that reassurance for investors, for inward investors, uh, you know, actually does come from government commitment and yeah. continued commitment, and where you know we're really um, looking at the next three years uh, in Faraday as well, so. Um, it needs to keep going. We're so close to tipping over the edge, I think, yeah. um, and it being self-sustaining. Um, but it does take a few more years. I mean, it's such a vast challenge, technically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so when we when we originally sort of discussed doing this uh, podcast, it was going to be, I mean, almost like a bit like a desert island discs of looking back on the <laughs> the, <laughs> the your greatest hits. Yeah. Um, so, so what you know in in terms of that history. At Faraday, what have been the real kind of notable moments for you? And and looking back, um, you know, what are you what are you most proud of um, that, that 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 you've achieved? So, if it's for me and what I've achieved, it always comes back to the people, right? I mean, um, from the moment you kind of sat down with um, the seven universities at the heart of the Faraday Institution, the sort of founding ones, and people like Peter Bruce and Claire Gray, you know, and you're seeing them now as Sir Peter Bruce and Dame Claire Gray. Uh, and just because the vast leap forwards that they have been doing in their work, but it's not in isolation. It's across Bath and Southampton and Birmingham and Warwick and uh, Edinburgh. And I'm trying to think of all the Lancaster. And, you know, you're seeing that in the university space bring forward some really rapid um, sort of research that's already out there in the market, right? It's, mm. it's not just been lost. You've seen IP that's sort of getting harvested faster, quicker, better. And you're, you're seeing, you know, the institution having a different pace on um, how that IP gets to market with its sort of T-scan methodology. And it's a very different beast to what existed before. So it is, it's the people involved and it's the way they're working in the, in the FI and, you know, and ditto for the, the CR&D from, you know, everything from how we work with investors, hopefully over the next three years, uh, moving to a sort of an investor partnership approach, but equally continuing to support SMEs, you know, get better at pitching and understanding what they need uh, as business propositions to pitch, but also unlike, you know, as you said, back in 2000, was it 2004 you started? or 2004, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can only imagine, you know, how many deaf ears of investors. So, you know, teaching people to pitch, but also <laughs> having people for them to pitch too. They're yeah. really excited about what you're doing. I mean, what, a, what an exciting place to be. But it's also the systems base. You know, we've got... Uh, battery battery fire safety right so uh, electric vehicles are you know however you look at it on a vehicle level as safe as internal combustion engines 
but it's on the system level as well. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's all of it. It's charging in buildings all the way through to recovery on motorways. And we've got, you know, you've got the chief scientific advisors for DFT and Bates, you know, leading work on this. So we've got this cross-government piece. We've got the same on sustainability from DEFRA to uh, the Health and Safety Executive and Environment Agency, you know, making sure that... Um, uh, that recyclers, for example, are compliant and we're working together and uh, making sure that that is coming forward so that, again, you know, there's just more success for the long term in the UK. You're seeing a, a real rapid change uh, right the way through. And that, I think, is what excites me because, you know, uh, um, there's a lovely description actually on that training course I told you about. Um, of of what government felt like you know people always complain it's like banging your head against a brick wall uh, and this guy said no 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 it's a super tanker right so you're banging it so if you bang your head on it long enough it'll do a u-turn <laughs> but it might it might take you you know 15 20 25 years to do that so when you're writing to your mp you know write because if it's if it's something change you want to happen yeah it, it will happen even if you're not getting the responses um, what's really interesting though is when you find those tugboats and that is what Faraday feels like it's done it's set up this tugboat in motion yeah. um, but then it's brought alongside it the automotive transformation fund it's partners in APC it's partners in, AT in the aerospace so APC is the advanced propulsion center yeah uh, the aerospace technology institute it's got we work with the catapults we work with you know lots of different uh, research organizations and and those pull technically to sort of say this is this is the direction of travel, this is where we need to go, um, is moving this super tanker, right? And that's what it feels like at the moment. Um, and you add the UK BIC in there, and you've got somewhere as well to get that final, final bit of um industrialization through. It just feels like we are at that moment where you're gonna have gigafactories here that work well. Um, are engineered well that have skilled workforce coming towards them because they can they can see how they can get there and they can see careers in there um and it's it's that that I look back on and go that groundswell yeah. in fact one well, a long time ago someone told me that the Faraday battery challenge was was like a movement <laughs> I quite like that. that that it feels like I'm doing my job right if I if I have 66 million customers yeah I was describing that surely that's sort of where we're going to right no I, I think that's a really good um way of putting it and and it, it is a if you're trying to do a very substantial change to an industry or or, or a new industry it is such an interconnected interwoven piece because you you're not going to get the investment and the factory without the skills and the people you're not going to get the skills and the people without the opportunity you know or perceived opportunity you know yeah um and it's been every corner of the uk mm. getting the problem and working out how they can be part of that solution yeah. what is it what is in it for them you know and it's not that they'll only be solving that yeah. you know electrification they'll be doing other stuff as well but it's it's how can it all pull together and it's it's because people have that line of sight i think and i think yeah. that's just immensely something i'll always be proud of for faraday and and if you had to you know thinking back over the last few years um i don't even know if it's possible like if you had to pick a few of your favorite moments uh, projects from 
the last few years could you do it uh, with the, are there some standouts oh oh I, that's really unfair in that there's so many standouts um pick your favorite uh, child I, oh which is my favorite child <laughs> well you know i love the recycling stuff i love the sustainability stuff i think there's been some really brilliant breakthroughs and not just in faraday spot funded stuff um, but actually APC funded stuff, things coming out of Recoverous Project, for example, things coming out of Relib. Mm. They're very always very close to my heart. I'm an extractive metallurgist at the end of the day, so I find them immensely satisfying. Um, I, the, I'm always going to come back to materials examples. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, but, uh, oh, do you know, I remember going to the Materials Research Exchange in 2018, I think, I think it was, um, organised by advanced materials team that I was I sort of just left um and and uh, Rob Corshi and the KTN team and it was a fantastic event right and um I met this company there called M&I Materials um and I just had a random chat with one of them um and from that you know they were developing uh cooling liquids for transformers for the grid mm-hmm. um and actually now that's one of the most exciting sort of cooling system products right and it's a small uk company just outside manchester i think um and they've done this like about that that sort of thing that that chance thing where people just got what you were working on Mm. um, and have come up with such brilliant uh ways forward they partner with ricardo for example and wmg and they sort of you know they've 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 started to sell it to like um a company out in california right um yeah. and for you as well i mean things like when people are talk, talking about cooling systems and you can see that they could work for batteries but they could work for motors uh, and you start to go that's really exciting so that's that's some of the standout but also the first time i went around uk bic <laughs> i was just like oh i just want to stay can i uh. just work here and and you know because it's in some ways it's really similar to um automotive gal steel you've got these strips of materials getting coated and dried and and i just was you know the scale of it and the excitement of it and the precision of it yeah that as well that's a real standout moment seeing that place um as something that is pulled together so many pieces of equipment into something that can you know that can make millions of cells um and batteries it's it's a really that that also shines um oh do you know it's really hard so going up to Amptis for the first time and seeing a battery factory for the first time yeah that was immensely exciting um uh because the familiarity of it is really strange Ryan I mean I think that's one of the messages if anyone's listening to this and they're an engineer and they know nothing about batteries or anything else uh, you know I'd challenge any engineer who's worked in in a manufacturing industry like chemicals or steel or anything not to feel it not feel a sense of familiarity when you get there yeah it's it's never it's one of the reasons I think they're keen to open up and let people come visit who aren't in that space because you'll be shocked (laughs) I mean from food mixing to um you know to coating to you know everything from rolling right so I'm from a rolling background Uh, temporary rolling on steel mills was a bit of a speciality at one point and you know calendaring batteries (laughs) you're kind of going this is amazingly similar so those moments always stand out to me it is an interesting kind of hybrid of 
the sort of that clean room manufacturing environment, uh, very sort of controlled atmosphere. For me, that was a bit alien. Getting suited and booted up the first yeah. time I went in uh, a, bat- a battery cell plant, but then yeah, when you're in there, it's kind of like no, oh, this is this. Oh, you know, do this. This yeah, real, yeah, real yeah. to real process. It lo- it looks a bit like um, I've sort of seen sort of paper manufacturing and things like that before. You know, that's kind of where my yeah definitely real to real. But any any those sort of um it's a high volume you know high process quantity but very precise very tightly controlled manufacturing that's the piece as well ryan that always hits me sort of between the eyes because i come from that manufacturing background that large industry heavy industry background when you start to see companies like your liquor you know talking about having their whiteboards and you know basically <laughs> well, their visual management techniques, which is so manufacturing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or when we're, you know, we're we're putting out a competition requiring people to demonstrate their environmental compliance. These are core to the principles of large-scale manufacturing. These are core skills. Um, you know, I, things like UK Bit getting its first permit. Um, you know, looking at places like British Vault getting their coma. Um, sort of work done and you're kind of going this stuff this is actually the the bit where you're really keying into an infrastructure that is that is right you know um, and going to be safe and going to be done the right way Um, and that really excites me as well so that could be the that that might have been the answer to my next question but just to sort of um, I guess to round things off because because I just just a little time check and uh we're, we're nearly um, out of time, but your next, um, so, so in terms of what you're excited about, you know, in the future, so I often ask people, what is it they're most excited about in the next sort of 12, 18 months with, you know, or, or even longer term, what is it about the future that's happening in the UK battery scene or the Faraday uh, challenge or that, that space that's got you most excited? So there's always a fragility, isn't there, when you've got one big player um, or two big players. Um, so I think we're entering, you know, we, when we look back, Ryan, you're going to laugh. We um, we started off with a slide that was titled, Why Batteries? Mm. You would have seen that slide many times. And yeah. then it was like, batteries are coming. And then it was, batteries are here. Yeah. And now it feels like we're in the rise of the gigafactories, right? Yeah. Um, and I think anything you see with big announcements about, you know, additional capacity in the UK for gigafactories um, and their supply chains, that really excites me because that's where you're moving your transition. You know, that's where you can see that that future insight that it's a really self-sustaining prophecy. That excites me massively for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, recycling technology is really coming to the fore. That really excites me technically. That that piece um, where you're moving from, you know, you need to something that is much more akin to a tier one you know, automotive supply chain sort of philosophy for recycling. That really excites me where they're working with Second Life producers as well. So they're really, really intelligent thinking about that post first life um, approach. That really excites me. Um, But in the really immediate term, it's how many people are going to apply to round five of the Faraday Bank Challenge. Yeah, yeah. It's great. I think it's going to be an immense competition um, and so exciting. And, you know, all the companies that we have sponsored previously have worked so hard in terms of their growth and their knowledge 
um, and we see them coming back, but we also see new ones coming in. So um, I won't tell you who it was, but somebody told me they were going to have a blitz attack on round five. Yeah. Um, and I'm laughing, thinking it's great that people are really thinking about how they can muscle into round five mm. um and it, but it's 25 million right um yeah and some of the bit that really excites me is when they don't get funded and they still absolutely absolutely deliver on innovation without government money because um you know competition is a, a slightly artificial construct mm. um and your timing might not be quite right or we put requirements yeah. on and uh, which aren't always the right thing for the individual companies, and when you see those individual companies move anyway, yeah, then you know, then you know it's more than just waving money at people. It's it's because they're really committed to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's excellent. I think that's about all we've got time for today. <laughs> so there's a couple of things that I had on the list here that we haven't managed to talk about, like the fact that you are a visiting professor um, at the University of Leicester, but we've been managed to get around to that. Um, but thank you very, very much indeed for taking the time out to um, to come and talk to us today. It's been really interesting. I'll put some links in the show notes for people who are interested um, in the the Faraday challenge and, and what it does, um, and also some some different ways to get in touch with Jackie, um, but uh, but that's been great. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Lovely to be here.